This is Eat You'll Feel Better, a podcast about the food mood connection. I'm your host, Mary Beth Albright, and this is episode one. And we're talking today about diet culture. And if that makes you uneasy, then welcome. You're in the right place. Because for the first episode of talking about the food mood connection, I wanted the topic to be something really foundational. And there's a quote from Plato that the beginning is the most important part. And I actually believe that, that we need to talk about the foundations of the world that we live in before we talk about how we're going to change it. And I think that talking about diet culture is really critical to understanding how what we eat affects how we feel and about how we feel affects what we choose to eat. So there are all kinds of other science-based topics that we are going to get into in Eat You'll Feel Better. We will get into the gut microbiome, probiotics, prebiotics, inflammation, all of the science-backed ways that food and mood are constantly in conversation with each other. But I want to start with diet culture because you are fighting an uphill battle for emotional well-being if you are bought into diet culture. And for me, my emotional well-being is the most important thing to me. We're all products of diet culture because diet culture is pervasive. It's everywhere. I am a food and science journalist. I have been working in public health for almost my entire career with a focus on food. And I still fall victim to diet culture all the time. And I have to really think about it, recognize it where it's happening, and make sure that I'm not internalizing it, that I'm not saying to myself that I'm somehow less than because I've made a specific food choice. So for today, we're just going to talk about two things. First, we're going to define our terms. What is diet culture? So we can see that it really is everywhere. And second, I'll talk about why diet culture and understanding diet culture is foundational to understanding the food mood connection and why diet culture is so harmful to our emotional well-being and really diametrically opposed to our emotional well-being. So first, let's talk about the definition. What is diet culture anyway? And of course, like with most social phenomenon, there are a lot of different definitions of diet culture. The one that really speaks to me after doing so much research over decades is that diet culture is the idea that there is some sort of moral judgment or moral hierarchy of bodies and body types and of food choices. That somehow there is a, a, a character value upon people based on what their body size is or what their food choices are. And diet culture is a social creation. It is not something that is based in science. There's a lot of nutritional science out there that we're going to talk about, about how food affects your body. We're not talking about that objectively true science. We're talking about the judgment that we make 
about people when we see the body that they inhabit or the food choices that they make. That equates food choices somehow with a character judgment about people. And the reason that I'm talking about diet culture to begin with is that it equates dieting always with something positive. Diet culture encourages the idea that the more lean your body is, the better kind of person you are. And this encourages all kinds of problems, including weight cycling. There's a lot of evidence that diet culture actually encourages people to yo-yo diet, which is what is known as weight cycling, which leads to muscle loss and inflammation and poor body image issues, which can also lead to all kinds of other health problems. And that is why diet culture is so insidious, is that it uses objective science to make moral judgments. The science is true, but the moral judgment is not. And look, I don't like being anti-anything, right? Because what you focus on expands. And by calling yourself anti-diet culture, it's like you're necessarily focusing on the diet culture. I want to be pro-things. I want to work from love and not fear. But diet culture is so pervasive and so insidious that we really need to name it. And just naming it helps us to figure out how we feel about it that naming it is generative. It's like Voldemort, right? Like at some point, you have to say the name. You have to look directly at it and say, here's what this thing is, and here's why I'm against it. So that's why I really thought that it was important to talk about the food-mood connection. And the food-mood connection we will talk about here on Eat, You'll Feel Better requires us to be anti-diet culture, which is why I wanted to do it for the very first episode. Because diet culture tells us that we will reduce inflammation, you know, if we, if we go on a diet. And that's a lie for 98% of people for whom you go on a diet, you lose weight, and then you, and then you gain it back, right? And it makes it worse. So there are people making money off of this diet culture lie and it's messing with your health, your emotional well being and your physical health. So we are here on Eat, You'll Feel Better. We are anti-diet culture, which is we look at food through a lens of emotional well-being. And that means that we find joy in food and eating. And there is a unique and specific pleasure that we get by connecting with others over food. That's extremely human. The ability to sit around a table or a fire circle, or a mat with other people and connect over food is such a magical human thing that we do. So being anti-diet culture, we focus on the joy of food, the pleasure of food, and also the freedom that we can get by learning how to feed ourselves, that we're not constantly at the mercy of other people who decide what we should eat whether that's restaurants, whether that's fast food places, whether that's you know the takeout section at the grocery store, you learn a little bit about preparing your food so that you can feed yourself more effectively. And there's a lot that happens when you're cooking that we will talk about that really can be helpful for your emotional well-being. So now that we've defined diet culture and anti-diet culture, let's talk about the second issue, which is why is being anti-diet culture so important 
for eating for emotional well-being. I mean, look, I could have talked about anything today. As I said, gut microbiome, inflammation, nutrients, pleasure science. These are all things we're going to discuss on future episodes. But the reason that I'm making diet culture the very first topic is that it is critical for emotional well-being. Nutrition science tells us that when bodies take in an extra 500 calories a day, a weight gain will occur, right? That is nutrition science. But when you turn that into a moral judgment of how people eat, that's where the problem starts. Because there are a million factors that go into whether people are able to do X to get to the Y result, right? And diet culture ignores that every human body is an ecosystem, including mine, including yours. And that ecosystem, your human body ecosystem, has a lot of different parts. And those parts interact with each other to form who you are as a whole person. And food is just a part of that ecosystem. It's an incredibly important part with really wide-ranging ramifications. But it's just a part of that. There's more to emotional well-being than what you eat. And just as there's more to your emotional well-being than the food that you eat, your food plays a lot of parts in your emotional well-being that don't necessarily have to do with that nutrition science we were talking about. Because food is so important culturally. It's important to your family structure. It's important to your feeling of security. Because there are other things that are going on in your ecosystem that affect how you perceive food. Sometimes doing X on any given day is impossible for you, and that's okay. For example, at the end of working all day long, you might find it too difficult to go home. Maybe you get home at 8.30 or 9 o'clock and cook something for yourself. And that's understandable. I'm not here to chirp at you. Just make yourself a salad and sit down on the couch and, you know, just think about your day and congratulate yourself. It, it's very difficult to do that given other things that are going on in your ecosystem. And we're not going back to a time when people were at home all of the time cooking and thinking about what they were going to prepare next and thinking about what the next meal was. So, I do promise you that I will not tell you to just eat a handful of almonds, right? Almonds are great. Nuts are great for emotional well-being. We're going to talk all about that. But um, if it were easy, we'd already be doing it, right? So we're going to educate ourselves. We're going to learn things about how food affects emotional well-being and how emotional well-being affects food choices so that we can put all of this into action. We don't want to focus on eating for emotional well-being so much that we forget that the point is emotional well-being. We don't want to sacrifice our emotional well-being in the pursuit of eating for emotional well-being. Another reason why diet culture and emotional well-being are incompatible is that there is a deep cost to the weight prejudice that exists in the world today. This has nothing to do with health. It's what happens when we are faced with a body size or a body shape or a food choice that does not jibe with our understanding of 
what another person's food choice or body type should be. And again, that's, that's a societal creation. That's something that the culture creates around us that has nothing to do with nutrition science. And the cost of this weight stigma and what happens when people internalize the weight stigma and tell themselves, there's something wrong with me because of the way I look, or there's something wrong with me because of the way that I just ate, and I'm going to be better next time, right? You can't think of yourself as not worthy because of what you eat or because of what you look like. Diet culture and emotional well-being are incompatible. They are opposites. You do not have to eat a certain way to be worthy of love. You do not have to eat a certain way to be worthy of inclusion. You do not have to eat a certain way to be worthy of acceptance, of success, of feeling good about yourself. And you don't have to be perfect. I am not. I mean, if, if you if you listen to this while you're eating French fries, you're still part of this community that values eating for emotional well-being. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. And I don't care whose book you read or whose podcast you listen to. If they're saying that they do something perfectly, it's untrue because there is no perfection. The only question is, what is the best way for you, for me, for us to live out our value system every day, that value of really prioritizing our emotional well-being? And mental health. How can we do that? And every week on Eat You'll Feel Better, I'm going to give you some science. I'm going to give you some things to think about. And I'm going to give you something actionable that you can do this week. And it's not like, you know, don't eat carbs all week or eat only vegetables all day. It's nothing that is going to be prescriptive or prohibitive because I can't tell you how to be perfect. I can give you a lot of information about how to eat for emotional well-being that has really helped me out. And it's science that I've studied for more than two decades. And it's just not, the science just isn't out there in a comprehensive and compact way and a way that really can turn it into something actionable for all of us. And Eat You'll Feel Better is here to do just that. Our framework here on Eat You'll Feel Better will always be anti-diet culture. And I'm asking you also to keep me honest with this because I all the time notice myself with these thoughts, with these internalized thoughts. I notice myself doing it. And, you know, I'm a product of the 80s and 90s when diet culture, people didn't even have the phrase diet culture. It was just part of the world and that's what you lived in, right? That if you had a larger body, there was something wrong with you. You were constantly walking around afraid that somebody was going to have like a TV camera focused on, on your abdomen and like blacked out your eyes, right? So nobody could identify the person who had excess body weight. Um, like it was some kind of shameful thing. And, and the, the, the sort of disgust that was, that they were trying to evoke by showing larger body size. Or, or the, the before and after pictures, right? You are more than a before and an after. You are never a before. You are always living. You are never an after. You are always evolving. So to have that one thing that I promised that you can do this week 
it's something that I actually really love. It, and I love it for November too. I'm taping this in November when, you know, it's sort of like the, the, if you if you shop seasonally, if you shop at a farmer's market and, you know, you're coming off September and early October when it's like everything is in season. And now it's like you go and it's like, yay, root vegetables, more root vegetables. Look, more root vegetables. But here's a way that I make carrots very often that I think are delicious. And it's really simple. And this is something that it's seasonal. Like it's, it's, it's like a fall slash winter dish, but it's fresh. And it adds something to any meal that I bring it to. I have brought this as a side for a Thanksgiving meal. And because there's a, a fair amount of shredding involved in this, people get very excited. Like, oh, look at, look at all the carrots you shredded. So that's what it is. It's shredded or grated carrots. You can do this in a food processor. You can do it on a box grater. You just take regular carrots. I like to do the tricolor carrots, you know, the ones that are like purple and orange and white or sort of yellowish. Um, if you, if you have those at your grocery store, I was at a Walmart the other day and I saw them. So you can get those, you can get them at, at any grocery store or you can just get the orange ones. You shred all of the carrots, right? Or grate them, put it in a big bowl. I like to put it in a blue bowl because that blue and the orange look really good against each other. And honestly, what we see really affects our sight perception really affects how we perceive the flavor of food. And we're going to talk all about that science later. That's just neuroscience, basic neuroscience. So you take all those shredded carrots and you put some olive oil and lemon juice and you toss it. If you have some parsley, some chopped up parsley or some chopped up thyme, throw that in too, but don't let it stop you. If you're like, oh, well, I don't have the time, so I guess I can't make this. doesn't matter. Just make it with carrots and lemon juice and olive oil and a little bit of coarse salt. When I say coarse salt, I mean like the crunchy kind that gives a little texture. This is a five ingredient or less if you don't put in the parsley, right? It's a five ingredient, simple thing to make. People are so impressed that you grated all those carrots. If you use those, those tricolor carrots, they look so beautiful together. If you throw in some parsley, the green adds something too. And, you know, look at you making a delicious, Thanksgiving side dish or whatever, a dish to, to have in the evening. And it's better as it sits because the carrot soaks up that lemon juice. And when you use lemon juice, you need to use less salt. That citrus always makes things, makes your brain perceive of things as, as more salty. So light on the salt, salt to taste, but light on the salt with the lemon juice. And um, that's it. That's that little carrot salad that you can make for yourself this week, that you can bring to someone's house, that you can make for yourself to in the morning or on a weekend and have in the refrigerator, and it's really delicious. To close up this week's episode, remember that your emotional well-being is so much more than just your body and what kind of food you eat and choose to eat. But that food can really support your emotional well-being. And remember that judging anybody based on their body type is wrong, including yourself. You should not be judging yourself or speaking badly to yourself about your body or your food choices. And I won't do that either because that kind of shame is not compatible with emotional well-being. So here on Eat You'll Feel Better, we focus on learning. We focus on educating. And after this 20 minutes that we have together weekly, about 20 minutes, see how it goes. 
we all have to go back into our lives. And in our lives, this stuff is simple, but not easy. And I want us all to acknowledge that, that nutrition science at times can be simple, but not easy. I want everyone, including me, to walk away with that actionable thing that you can do this week to use food to support your emotional well-being. And that little carrot salad, no matter how no matter how insignificant it feels, is going to start that journey. This isn't homework. You're not a better person if you make carrot salad. You're not a worse person if you don't. But I do know that you will feel better if you make yourself a carrot salad this week. So until next week, I'm Mary Beth Albright, reminding you that choosing food is always a privilege. See you next week.